0: you're listening to a sober girls guide podcast a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery tune in every week to hear honest conversations about mental health self-development wellness and spirituality and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey i want to spread the wealth of knowledge My mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate through recovery and expand your personal growth. Thank you so much for tuning in to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome. I am your host and Sober Girl, Jessica Jabot. On today's episode, I talk to Dr. Adi Jaffe. Not only is Adi a doctor, he's an author, multiple contributor to Psychology Today, business owner, husband, father, and the list goes on. Adi shares his recovery journey and how he plans to help 1 million people through addiction and ignite their lives. So let's get into it. God, we have a doctor in the house today.
1: (laughs) I'm making house
0: calls. Yeah, we're making house calls today. Dr. Adi Jaffe, so excited to talk to you.
2: I'm so excited to be here.
0: Dude, you have like so many allocates, it's unbelievable. You have a book, pro like courses, you have an amazing family, like how you're living the dream.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how things look from the outside? Um Of course, of course. It's, uh But I'll tell you this, I'm mm. incredibly excited and amazed all at the same time as things keep moving forward because I feel like every year I say, yeah, but there's no way I'll be able to do this other thing. And then a year later I go, oh, mm. shit, that got done. Okay, cool. What's the next thing that I'm not going to be able to do? And then, you know, life yeah. unfolds in front of you. It's pretty amazing.
0: Yes, absolutely. Love those moments. Um, So let's let's back it up. Let's get right into your whole story. Like, where did you grow up? How did you come to be this amazing doctor? Sure. Walk us Um, through your recovery journey and how.
2: All right. I was born on a sunny day (laughs) in um, in Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, Yeah, actually, I don't know if it was sunny. I think it was like around two p.m. Apparently, we figured out when I was born, but. No, I, uh, I grew up in an upper middle class family. Okay. Uh, in Israel. Life was pretty good. I mean, you know, fucked up in the ways that families get to be fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, dad cheated on my mom, made me mm. hate my dad. Yeah. Um, my parents both worked. Um, so I was a latchkey kid, and I, which made me kind of grow up fast, but you know, like a normal, honestly, a pretty normal freaking life, especially from the vantage point I have now. It was a pretty mm-hmm. normal life. Uh, no okay. extreme suffering, but, but tr- some trouble along the way. Um, okay. and I'm not going to stick too, too heavily into the details of my early drug use because I feel like everybody here listening has heard enough drunk and enough, um, war right. stories and we don't need to do that. But yes. I started drinking alcohol because I was socially anxious and somebody offered it to me and I wasn't going to say no because that would make me more weird. And I started smoking weed a couple of years after that for the exact same reason. I was sitting in a circle and somebody handed me a joint. I didn't even know what the hell it was, but I was not going to be the guy to say no to a bunch of other kids that I looked up to. So I smoked that. Um, and none of that would have been, none of that, that would have been special if, if I wasn't the kind of guy who was socially anxious and needed help feeling like he fit in. And if I wasn't always feeling less than and like if I wasn't perfect, I was worthless. Um, and surprise, I'm never perfect, so I always felt worthless. Mm. And, you know, by the time I was in college, so that was uh, freshman year of high school is the alcohol, junior year of high school is the weed. By the time I got to college, I was a daily drinker and smoker. Definitely weed was a constant in my life at the time. Uh, I was okay. smoking, you know, pretty much all day. Um And it's college, so you're smoking bongs and like some ridiculous you're like trying to stuff <laughs> as much smoke in your lungs as possible. Um <laughs> like I think some about gravity there. bongs. I think about gravity bongs. Have you ever used a gravity bong in your life? Wait, like,
0: what's a gravity bong?
2: A gravity bong was this thing my friends in high school made. They would take okay. a um like a two liter bottle of um a two liter bottle of um soda or something like
1: that. Okay.
2: Um and they would cut off the bottom. Okay. I shouldn't. Okay. By the way, as I'm saying this to all the listeners, this is not me telling you how to do this at home. Yeah. <laughs> this is me sharing a past story. This so isn't a DIY. This, okay. Uh yeah, I know, not at all. So there was this. There would just be this bottle, um, and on top of it they would put a bowl. Okay. And they'd put some weed in it, and then you you put it in a tub of water so that initially the entire bottle is full of water except for where the weed is, and when you okay. light it up. You pull out the bottle and then the entire two liters of the bottle is full of really, really dense um smoke because what happens is there's a vacuum inside the bottle. It pulls right, right, right. air through the bowl. And so then what you do is one person takes off the cap where the bowl was and you essentially force feed your lungs all oh the smoke, the really, really dense milky smoke in the two liter bottle. And so these are insane it? things that no human being – like. I always, it's always funny to I me. I mean,
0: it's very inventive. Gotta give it's, it to you. It guys. is. I
2: didn't invent it. Yeah. I wish I would have invented it. Um, that would have be been some claim to fame, but actually friends of mine yeah. would, you know, showed it to me. So some of their friends told them how to use it, but. Okay. I was uncomfortable. And whenever somebody gave me something that would potentially alter the way my head felt normally, I would try it. And that okay. led to coke and ecstasy and acid and mushrooms and, um, and eventually meth. I found meth. Um
1: mm.
2: and that was after a a breakup. I was always breakups were not good for me because that's when I would really that's when I would really ratchet up the experimentation with drugs. And um okay. and meth came in and I uh I found my drug. Like by you know, I would say within I don't even know. Within six months, so I first only used it only quote unquote. Used it to stay up and study. Okay. Um but within Six months of that first try, I was using it almost daily, definitely multiple times per week.
1: Oh, wow! And
2: within a year, I was using it daily, and that continued for about three to three and a half more years. But not only was I using it daily, I was selling drugs. I was my entire life had essentially become about drug use at that point.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: Um. Yeah, and I, you know, I barely graduated UCLA. I mean, I, I don't even understand how I made it out. Uh, I Mm. had like a under a 3.0 GPA. I was, I was struggling and everything in my life, I right. was really, really struggling and I made it out. I was selling drugs. I I wasn't struggling that much in selling drugs. I was pretty good at that. And yeah. <laughs> my entire life was, I didn't know anybody anymore. There was not a drug dealer a drug user or, you know, whoever kind of came along for that ride. It right. Was, um All my regular friends had left. I was really out of touch with my family who are on the East coast. I was in California by this point, they were in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, I came out here for music, but I, you know, I was making music at three o'clock in the morning by myself when everybody finally would leave. The rest of the time I was just getting high or selling drugs. Wow. And that was, okay. That was in up to 2001, up to the middle slash end of 2001. And, um, you know, because again, because everybody listening has been through this trip one way or another, I got arrested. I had a SWAT team arrest me. It was not comfortable. I spent a little time in jail before I had a almost a million dollar bail that I had to figure out how to contend with. And so after about a week in jail, they lowered my bail. I got out. I was on probation. I went to rehab. I relapsed in rehab and got kicked out. Um right. and when I got kicked out of that rehab, I was essentially homeless because I didn't I lost my apartment, I had a car. Right, And my parents were on the East Coast, but I had nowhere to live because I was living in that rehab and I'd been evicted from the apartment that I was living in before.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so I spent some time, I would say I would have said I spent some time reflecting, but that's not actually true. What happened was my dad was irate that I'd used in rehab. I decided to tell him the truth, which was pretty, was pretty big for me at the time. Yeah, uh, But I told him the truth about the fact that I had been kicked out of rehab because for the first time maybe in our entire life, I hadn't been lying to them in a long time except for this relapse. Yeah. And um, and um I felt like there was an opportunity to not start lying to them all over again. So I told him the truth. He got incredibly mad at me as he should have. And I yeah. spent the next two weeks trying to find the next place for me. Found the next place, stayed sober there for eight months, went and had to do a, a year in jail, got out of jail and got my life back together. So I only went to school. The only reason I have a PhD is because I couldn't get a job. Like I couldn't even get hired at the mall when I got out of right. jail. Um, And so I did the only thing that was possible for me other than maybe moving back to Israel and getting a job there. And that was um going back to school. So I went okay. back to school, studied psychology, ended up getting my master's, did really, really well this time. Um, because Why did now you choose I was really psychology? I... Honestly, my undergrad degree was in psychology. Oh, okay. And so I can't even say it was because I was interested specifically in that. <clears throat> it's just because I knew that if I was going to submit an application to school,
1: mm-hmm. it
2: should probably be on the same topic I did in my undergrad. Otherwise, I would have to explain why the hell. I already had enough stuff to explain. Yeah. Um, I didn't need to, <laughs> I didn't need to explain why on. I'm all of a sudden deciding a whole new career. Right. So I did that, but um, I got linked up with an advisor. Mm -hmm. And that advisor studied hepatitis C and HIV. And it just so happens that those things happen a lot in drug users. And um, so I was working a lot with drug users. And all of a sudden it clicked for me that I want to study addiction. Worked my butt off at Cal State Long Beach. Had a 4.0 GPA. Got into UCLA for the PhD program. Which was kind of amazing because I'd graduated from there as an undergrad. And I thought they would never want me back. Um.
0: That's amazing. But I
2: got back and I made it back. And then I finished my PhD, got that degree. And since then, so that was 2010. And since then, I've been working my ass off trying to help as many people as I can not have to go through all the bullshit I went through. And at the same time, try to uncover ways to get even more and more people help, whether they realize they need help or not. You know, kind of trying to figure out what can I do, what things can I put in place to help people make their life better.
0: That's amazing.
2: Wow, that was a short version. That was a really long yeah. short version.
0: Yeah, that was great. So how did you personally get sober? Like the second time around, after you got kicked out of the rehab, how did you, how did you find so, your peace?
2: Yeah, I, I don't look. That's a really good question, but I don't know that I found my peace. What happened was I'd gotten kicked out of that first rehab, and I got kicked out two months after I actually started using. So I was there for a month, and then they let me go back to work because I was doing well. And unfortunately for them, my work was a recording studio where there was nobody there. It was just me making music. And I was bored, started looking through the drawers, found some meth, and started using again. And initially, it was you know Mm. once every couple of days, just a little bit, smoke it, go back, feel a little bad about it, but not that big a deal. But now I'm hiding it. I'm not talking to anybody about it. Within a couple of weeks, it became a daily use thing again. And um, I felt like shit, like I would come back to rehab high out of my mind and um, felt horrible about it. Got kicked out. I mean, there's so many insane pieces to the story. They let me out on New Year's Eve. Huh. What fucking rehab (laughs) lets somebody out on New Year's Eve?
0: Yeah. What rehab is this? What am
2: I doing? What am I doing on New Year's Eve by myself? It wasn't like my family was around. Um,
0: Oh, my God. So I spent
2: spent New Year's Eve high off meth in the corner of a room where I had sold a lot of the people who were there ecstasy because I still had some hidden ecstasy in the storage space. Um, Okay. I didn't take any ecstasy because weirdly, in my crazy fucking mind, I was thinking to myself, I can hide the meth use. I can't hide coming back to rehab rolling. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm sitting there on this couch in the corner of the room seeing everybody, you know, high on ecstasy so they're like rubbing each other, giving each other massages, people are like half naked. And <laughs> and I'm bored. I'm just like bored. I'm just sitting there going I got to go back to rehab soon. You know, and um Oh, what, didn't sleep that night? Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was really ridiculous when you think about it. Um and obviously they tested me the moment I got back. Now, yeah. I can't even fathom what I looked like a whole night of not sleeping. Right. Um, High as hell. And, you know, I thought I was playing it off and I wasn't playing it off. They tested me right away. The test took like a week to come back. Obviously, I tested dirty. I tried every excuse in the book. They wouldn't take it and they kicked me out right on the spot, which I think is, by the way, a pretty insane piece of treatment is that you get kicked out of treatment when you're using. But sell a V. So I got kicked out. Went back to my studio and I was going to lie to my dad about why I needed to leave that rehab. Mm-hmm. But then I just decided last minute to just tell him the truth. And like I said, he got super mad, but he, he said this, he asked me this question in the end, like, what do you want me to do? What do you expect me to do now? Right. Right. Um, I was facing 18 years in prison. Whoa. I'd just been kicked out of my rehab. So 18 years in prison in ahead of me. Yeah. Um, Getting kicked out of rehab that they just paid, I think it was like seventy five hundred dollars a month at the time, so like twenty two grand they just dropped on three months. Now this is in two thousand two, it's much more expensive now. Yeah. But they dropped all that money for three months. So he's like, I just threw away twenty thousand dollars, you're facing eighteen years in prison. Like, what the fuck do you want me to do? How Uh. are we gonna fix this? And I and I said to him, you know, you can't fix it. I've gotta go I've gotta go figure out how to do this on my own. And so This was the first time that I really took responsibility for finding my own way. And I used every day of the next two weeks while I was finding the next thing. Just to be clear, I was not sober at all after that. I got high on everything I could get high on those two weeks. Um, When I did my intake interview at the Sober Living that I found.
0: um, I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flour, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions the good and the bad chill vibe gummies make you feel like you just minus the anxiety go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today that's v-i-b-e gummies.com
2: it was like 8 p.m and i was wearing sunglasses um <laughs> again because i was thinking to myself if i wear sunglasses they will not know that i'm high on meth right now um, oh
0: my god it's like a kid who, like, puts on sunglasses to, like, disappear, basically. Like, yeah. You know, like, when you're you know, a kid and you're like, this is your invisibility cloak or your invisibility yep. Like, glasses. I put my head in a
2: pillow and I went, you can't see me. Right. Um, <laughs> It did not work. They knew I was fucked up. But it doesn't matter. I got in.
1: Okay. You
2: asked what gave me the peace. It wasn't that I yeah. got the peace. It was more that I realized, oh, this is up to me. Like, nobody can do this for me. I have yeah. to do this for myself. And so I stopped resisting. And I just, the, the way I see it, the motivation was pretty simple. I wanted to spend as little time as in prison as possible. Yeah. So I could get on with my life. Um, I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I was really hoping it wouldn't, I wouldn't spend 20 years in prison. And so I cleaned up and it sucked. I fucked up along the way. Uh, I made mistakes. I had consequences in that house. I had all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I stayed sober for those eight months. I went to jail. I got a year, which was like a gift compared wow. to what I was looking at before. And, like uh uh I had to, myself to a
0: year? That's amazing. Yeah,
2: yeah. And part of that was Thank because God. I cleaned up so much. Yeah. Okay. I mean, part of that was because the judge saw me going from, you know, a 128-pound meth addict to somebody who seems like you know, he slept a little in the last week. Um,
0: <laughs> just a little and look.
2: that was Yeah, and I was doing a lot of other stuff. I was I was active, I was I you know whatever, I had a sponsor. I did all the stuff you were supposed to do. So I, I, I walked that okay. path and they saw it and they um yeah, they they didn't let me off the hook. A year in jail still fucking sucks. But Oof. compared to what I should have gotten or could have gotten, it was uh it was pretty amazing. So I did that yeah. year. I was sober in jail and, and by that point, my entire perspective on life changed. So it wasn't that okay. hard not to go back to meth after that.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, having a association with jail and meth, uh, that's a little scary.
2: The mentality I needed to have in jail mm-hmm. to get through that experience was probably not all that different than the mentality I needed to have as a drug dealer. Okay. You know, jail is not rehabilitation and thinking about what you've done. Right. Jail is about making it through the day without getting in more trouble. So you stay in jail more, getting in a fight, pissing somebody off, getting pissed. Like it's pissing a, a a cop, a sheriff off. I mean, it's just about survival. And so I actually don't think it was until after I got out of jail that I could really let my defenses down and start learning how to be a normal human being. Jail helped me because of the threat of going back to jail.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, but sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give Better Help a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash A-S-G-G today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash A-S-G-G. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, jail didn't help me. Because of anything that happened in jail, it was just that it was right. You so didn't have like a boring. revelation in jail. No, it was just so boring, debilitating, and scary all at once. Which is kind of, if you think about it, there aren't a lot of experiences in life that can both be boring and terrifying at the same time.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: and jail does that. It's fucking dehumanizing that place.
0: God. Well, it sounds horrible.
1: Yeah, it's not good. Don't go.
0: No, <laughs> I don't. I don't suggest it. Yeah.
1: Well, thank I God, God it was suggest just one year. To stay out.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah yeah. It was one year. I called my parents collect so much they had to get a second line installed in their house because there's a limit on how many collect calls you can take.
0: Oh my god. So my mom
2: installed a second phone in their house that we could alternate. Yeah. It was it was it was terrible.
0: You got out of jail. What does that look like now?
2: So I got out of jail, started trying to apply for work. Yeah. And it was debilitating. It was I mean, you know, you have to check that box. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? And I'm a nine-time convicted felon. I wouldn't get calls back. And, you know, again, I don't want to repeat the what I was talking about before. But I really had to start thinking about what do I want my life to look like? Because it started yeah. out really simply. It started out, I want my life to not be in prison. Right. Right? Like, that was simple. Very basic. But then when I realized, yeah, but when I got out, I realized, okay, that's that's easy to say. But what do you, I mean, to do that, I need to do something. Mm-hmm. So let's go get work. Thankfully, by the way, my parents were supporting me. Like my parents were paying rent during this time because I couldn't afford rent, right? I had to figure out, literally I had to figure out how to live like a normal human being. So I tried to get work and I couldn't get work. And then I went back to school, but I still can't pay for shit. So within the first six months, I got that research assistant job and that paid for some of my rent. But you know, it took me a few years to dig myself out of that that mess. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. I mean, even just, You know, sitting in a statistics class the first summer after jail and having to sit in a class with a professor and other students who, you know, seem to have just kind of like a normal life. Um, When I just got out of jail and out of being a drug dealer, it took a while to get used to. Yeah. That's Um,
0: a huge change.
2: It's a huge change. And it was also not, you know, it wasn't the kind of story you could. It's not like I can't say that in class, right? like, oh, guys, you know, I'm, it's really hard for me to focus on my homework because I just spent the last year in jail. Like, that's not a story you tell. So, or at least not a story I was telling back then.
1: Okay. Was, you know,
2: back back to the shame. So, look, right. by the time I finished my PhD, um, my story was pretty different because, and I think this is kind of part of the reason we decided to talk, is I was sober for three years, but I decided I needed something more. Um I was studying addiction now, I was studying mm. psychology, and I was starting to have a very different view of what my addiction actually had been like I was starting to see the reasons why I was using, yeah and seeing the reasons why now I didn't feel like I was at risk of using anymore after
1: three years sober and yeah. you know it felt to me a little bit like I was playing the alcoholic slash addict role that I was told I had to play to get out of
2: jail and prison even right. though i didn't really fit the the mold and i didn't fit the role but the problem is that the entire time everybody's telling you well that's what your addict mind will say to you right so right so it took like six months of talking to my mom and my dad and my sponsor at the time about mm-hmm. these things that are going on in my head and then i took the plunge i took the AAA experiment i um i introduced alcohol back into my life over a long period of time Mm-hmm. I, uh, when I got into my PhD program, I was studying drugs and the neuroscience related to them. I mean, like in one of the labs that I worked in, I did experiments with meth. Okay. So I would get a jar of pharmaceutical meth and I would prepare meth solutions for the mice and the rats that I was using in the studies. Right. And then I would inject them with it. And you know, what do they tell you almost? If I would have asked by that point I didn't have a sponsor. But I, I had to talk myself off a ledge because what I was told before was that if I ever get near meth again in my life, um,
1: right.
2: I'm gonna relapse. I can't stay the fuck away from meth was the story, right? And here I am for months right. working with meth. Um
0: and, and what, so I created nothing.
2: I mean, I'm not gonna look the first day I had to go do it, I had to give myself a fucking pep talk. Yeah. But I now know that the pep talk was way more about me getting over my past experiences and the past stories that people were telling me about what would happen if I touched meth again. Right. Versus the reality of what my life was. It was absolutely weird the first time to take out little little like measurements of meth and measure it on a on a scale and then mm-hmm. add saline solution to it. It was like a very I never I never shot up, so the needle was not a thing for me, but there's fucking meth. Like, you know, there was like yeah a half a pound of meth in a jar. I could have easily taken a little scoop and taken a little for myself, but I was in a different right, place right, in my right. life. That wasn't that wasn't attractive to me anymore. And by the way, right. I was socially drinking at that time. I was not sober. It's not like I was sober, and I didn't want right. to not be sober anymore. I wasn't sober. Um it's just that I didn't need to use more than what I was using, and that was really hard for people to understand. So, I started yeah. Researching, trying to understand what else exists in the world of recovery. And I found things like harm reduction and I found things like yes. cognitive behavioral therapy and and motivational interviewing and mindfulness and meditation and all these things that were very relevant to recovery, but I gotta tell you, nobody talked about them once in any of the rehabs that I went to.
0: Interesting.
2: So so I started going, well, okay how do we get the word out about more of these things about more of these approaches to help right. people with, with with addiction i started a website called all about addiction i started writing i started then writing for psychology today and really doing the work that i was hoping would would help would help people and we got that website got pretty popular there at some point okay and um And, you know, my writing for Psychology Today got popular. I mean, I think now we've been read by about two and a half million people on Psychology Today. There was almost about another million people who had read it back in the day. But now, you know, now I was writing. Now I was using everything that I'd learned in school to get the word out about what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it was really exciting to be able to get emails and letters and stuff from people who were attracted to the message and felt like somebody was finally speaking to them. Yes. And so I did that. Then I started working in clinical practice. I worked in some clinics to help literally run groups and, and do educational groups. And that was really fun. And then I opened up my own rehab, which was amazing. Um, and we did that for five years, helping mm-hmm. people who were not necessarily wanting to or ready to abstain when they came into treatment, but helping them get still help for their addiction problem. Okay. Um and when that and when that rehab closed, I sat back and I thought to myself, okay, what do I do with the last 18 years of things I've collected? I don't want to run another rehab. Rehabs mm-hmm. suck and it's not even all the fault of the rehabs. Um it's really difficult in the because of health insurance and the costs of getting good staff and the overhead and all the stuff yeah. and all the really illegitimate, ridiculous, illegal stuff that's happening in the industry. It's Isn't really it tough
0: crazy?
2: Oh, it's it's uh, it's
0: a racket.
2: It's insane, straight up. Right? So even the people who are trying to do good work have a really yes. hard time doing good work because other people are selling bodies, literally. Yep. So I knew I didn't want to do that. So I go, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I said, "You know, I want to have a big impact. Like my goal for Ignited Recovery, this thing that I created, mm-hmm. is to help a million people beat their addiction." And I right. knew I couldn't help a million people beat their addiction with, um, opening a rehab. It doesn't matter how big the rehab is and how successful, and that's hard by itself. I would never be able to help a million people. Yeah. So I started looking at the other options. And that's writing a book was one of the options. And, um, and so I started working on that. And then mm-hmm. I said to myself, you know, I want to, I want to not wait. So while I'm starting to talk about writing the book, I want to do something. And so what I did was I did this online course. I ran a course with, people. There were only eight people the first time that we did it. Um, And I said, hey, I'm going to take you guys through the same work that I would do with people if I had a treatment center again. Okay, We're going to do the same work, but it's not going to be 10 grand for the week, which is what it used to cost to come to us.
0: When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skin care is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self care. With over 27 years of seaweed infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty free, and climate neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at osiaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off.
2: Alternative, It's not okay. going to be $15,000 a month. It's going to be a one-time payment of $1,000 or 97 bucks a month. And you can join and you have access to it forever. And we're going to spend six weeks working together on your struggles. Like I said, I got like eight people to sign up and every Monday and every Friday at noon, we would sit down and we would do this thing live online. And I'd have slides and I would show video of me and other videos and it was really fun. And probably like half of the people who participated in that first one wrote to me and said, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I wish this existed before when I was trying other things. Yeah. And, you know, it was so easy for them. It was like they could literally get help from their phone or from their laptop without having to quit work, without having to go anywhere, without right. without having to beg other people for money or mortgage their house again or take out a loan or just drop 10 grand. Um, everybody yeah. could just do it. And they loved it. They absolutely loved that it was happening. And I said, I got to do more of this. And so mm-hmm. I started learning about the online world and how to do that. And, and I took all the stuff that we had done that six weeks and I put it online and it's live now is something called the Ignited Hero Program. We've made it even better since I first did it. But the Ignited Hero Program is a live you know, I say like two to three month course because it's, you can do it in six weeks, like we did it, but most people take a little bit longer to really finish it. But let's yeah. say six week to three month addiction course that people get to take. Okay. And they don't have to quit their job. They don't have to tell their boss that they want help. Some people aren't even telling their spouse, although I work yeah. with them in week five of the course on getting support from people around you. So I think support is incredibly important. But some people are working on themselves and making themselves better without all the hurdles, without all the cost and the logistical nightmare of getting help. And they're loving it and they're changing their lives. Literally, we've had people who are daily blackout drunks either completely stop drinking or drink literally 96% less than they were drinking before. Um, we've got people who are sex addicts dealing with porn and cheating and sex addiction stuff. We've got people who have compulsive eating habits dealing with those aspects of their lives. Uh I even have parents and loved ones of others who are struggling taking the course in order to help them understand how to help their loved one better.
1: Oh, I and love that. That's yeah, so cool. That it's is been very really,
2: cool. really beautiful and life changing. And then in the in the meantime, yeah. I also wrote a book while all this has been happening called The Abstinence Myth. Yeah. Because my core belief around addiction is that Quitting the drug, the alcohol, the porn, the whatever it is that you had to quit is not really the solution. Um, it's nice if you can do it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. But the solution, the real solution to addiction is to resolve the underlying problems and the shame that comes about from them. And mm-hmm. so the abstinence Smith is like an introduction to the ignited recovery method. And it's short. It's like a 130 page book. And it's got exercises and step-by-step instructions on how to move through this system that we built so that people can change their lives without having to give up a lot.
0: That sounds great. That's
1: yeah. Amazing. It's really awesome.
0: What would you say was your shame or your your hurdle you had to overcome in your past?
2: Well, I used drugs and alcohol to belong. Mm. I never felt like I was enough. I always felt ashamed and and anxious about how I fit around other people.
1: Okay.
2: And, you know, when I drank the first time, it was the first time I didn't care what other people thought of what I said.
1: Right. And when
2: I smoked weed the first time, I got to fit into a new group of people. Um. And when I discovered drug, well, when I discovered ecstasy, all my problems around like being embarrassed around girls disappeared. Um, mm. <laughs> and, and so it kind of felt incredibly freeing there. Ecstasy is not one of those things you can do all the time because, you know, a tolerance, <laughs> B, you literally can't function. Um, yes, <laughs> but I did it as much as I could. You know, I was doing it two or three times a week sometimes. Um, okay. so then I started selling it and doing it literally as often as was humanly possible. Um, and then when I was selling drugs and doing a lot of meth, I had money and drugs, which meant people either really liked me because I gave them what they wanted or they at least pretended to like me. Right. And so all those things step by step helped me overcome the fact that I didn't think I was enough because now I had drugs and money and enough people around me. You know, like I would walk into a house and, and everybody would scream my name and say, oh, you know, right. a D is here, a D is here. And they would be really excited. And so that right. felt like a the huge payoff, here. even though I was living a shitty life.
0: Right. Oh, I definitely feel you on that one. So how did you. <laughs> How did you remedy that? Like now, now you're like very popular, and like I would never, never, ever in a million years think that you felt like that in the past. Like you're very easy um, to talk to, very
2: thank you, you know,
0: very vibrant on Instagram. And I see like your videos and stuff. Like I would never thank ever you. think that truly.
2: Let me just say this that's the same thing people say I was before. Mm. So I was always really friendly and social. It's just what was going yeah. on inside my head, and to right. be clear, it's still going on inside my head. Um, okay, it is always going on. I'm, there's always now it's just one or two percent. Maybe sometime when it's really bad, it's five to ten percent of me that's doubting myself. It used right. to be the other way around. There was like seventy, eighty percent of me that was doubting myself all the time. And by the way, my life really sucked. So there was a lot of reasons to doubt. Um, but at least later on. Um, but I've also gotten better at understanding that those thoughts, those patterns in my head are not facts. You know, yeah. um, when you're a kid, when you're young, you don't know. And you believe what's going on in your head so much. And mm-hmm. I, I started being able to understand that I can prepare, I can do the work, I can be the best person that I can be. And be as honest and transparent about who that is. And that that's enough. And not everybody's going to love me. Actually, some people are really going to dislike me for being myself. But that's fine. I don't have to figure out a way to make those people like me. Um, I can just continue being myself.
0: Yeah, go where you're appreciated and celebrated. Yeah, because otherwise,
2: even if you're appreciated and celebrated for being somebody else, now you have to live as someone else. And that really sucks.
0: Oh, isn't that the worst? Really Totally. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> So what is, what's next for you? You got the course podcast. Yeah. What, um, uh, what other things do you think you can't do? What you crush? Right. totally. <laughs>
2: so you mentioned the podcast and that's great. I love that you mentioned that. Um, so I have a podcast with my wife on, on Wednesdays and Fridays. I release a recovery slash wellness slash mental health episode around that. I'm really trying to focus, you know, I get, I get very distracted very easily. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really trying to focus this year on. Having the biggest impact with those things, with the course
1: mm-hmm. and with
2: the um, with the book, we've had about three thousand people buy the book I think to date, which is awesome. That's I'm gonna that's count great. The, I'm going to count the book sales as part of my million lives change. So we'll see where okay. that goes. Um, yeah, and and really getting the course. We've had about a hundred people sign up this year. The goal okay. is about two hundred people this upcoming year, and really get ourselves to a place where um all the positive feedback all the changes all the lives that are being impacted are even more benefiting from these resources because i think it's time to drop the barriers to happiness even when people are sober yeah they know that the abstinence alone does not make them happy and does not give them the life that they want absolutely so my goal is to help them and give them more tools. Even there are people who are sober. There's somebody on the course who's been sober for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just wanted something more so that he feels fulfilled. Yeah. And I want to give people resources. It's called Ignited for a reason. To find their purpose, to, to feel fulfilled, to feel ignited and passionate about their life. Not as if they have to resolve or um or settle on some mediocre existence.
0: Totally. Yeah, and uh, you know, abstinence is not is not the answer. And I I couldn't agree more. You know, once I stopped drinking and using, like was I any happier? Not really, right. but when I started working on that inner, you know, shit that I that I kept drowning in alcohol. Yeah. That's when exactly. I got happier. That's when everything lifted and became You know, clearer, and I could step in and I could see, you know, the parts of my life that were suffering.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And
0: then I lit those up and I was ignited.
2: (laughs) There you see, you did it. Yeah. And now you've got this, you got this, and you've got your social media and you're telling people about it and you're changing people's lives. And that helps that process because you feel like you're making a difference and making that difference is helping you feel like you have a purpose. So now being sober is not a burden. It's not something that you have to work through.
0: No. It's a reality
2: that that you enjoy as having as part of your life.
0: Absolutely. I'm proud. And I never thought I would ever be proud to, I mean, to even say that. I never thought I would love it. We'd be proud of anything, really.
1: Totally. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So where can people find your course, your book, podcast? Where can we find you?
2: So, First of all, there's adjaffee.com. The book is called The Abstinence Myth and you can just go to www.theabstinencemyth.com and you will find everything you need to there. So that's, uh, that's easy. And the course is called Ignited Recovery. And if you go to Ignited Recovery and that's I-G-N-T-D recovery, then you will find that. And there's even an hour and a half free workshop to explain the principles of Ignited Recovery and give some help completely for free and we give people a pretty big special discount if they sign up in the first day of hearing about the course or in the first week of hearing about the course just so that people feel like they have an extra reason to get motivated um so you know it's kind of like when you first find it a lot of people go oh my god this would be so great but i'm not sure if i want to do it um we offer a 30-day money-back guarantee so there's zero risk you literally can Join and then, you know, try it out. And if you find out that it's not for you, then you can just deactivate it. Um, And when you stay on, there are a lot of amazing motivational pieces to the puzzle that is Ignited Recovery to help people move forward in a really deliberate way so that they leave not just feeling like their
1: drug or sex problem is better, but rather like their life is better.
0: Mm. And that's the name of the game. Right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: That's so awesome. Thank you so, so much for chatting with me. Yes, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, I mean, I. everyone needs to go check out your course and you. And I just love you. You have so much wisdom. So great.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank <laughs> you really for having these conversations. They're not the easiest conversations to have.
0: You make them easier. I totally mean that. Doesn't Dr. Adi make it just so easy? You know, addiction and recovery doesn't have to be scary. There's people out there like Dr. Adi who is calm, collected, and just super honest and willing to share their story. And I love that. I love that about him. Such a great guy. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. Couldn't do this without you. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and give us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the podcast in the comments. Love to hear from you guys. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Sober Girls Guide. And check out the blog at asobergirlsguide.com. Have a great day.